Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. What's that little ditty? Barry and Kelly sitting in the tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Barry pushing a baby carriage. What better follow-up to our last episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, where our host, J. Barry Watts, and his wife, Kelly, discussed money and marriage, and to go with, well, what naturally comes next. In this episode, which Barry has titled Growing Up Watts, Barry's daughters are his special guest, and we're going to continue laughing and learning as we get a further inside view into the personal life of the host you've come to know and love. Here's Barry Watts. Thank you so much, Patrice. Today is a great day. You know, I had so much fun on our last episode talking with my wife, Kelly. By the way, we should have uh, made her crack cake recipe a special giveaway to listeners of that episode. So uh, maybe we can do that in the future if Kel's ever back on. Today, though, we're going to have a couple of consumers of their mother's crack cake, the two who can't quite edge her out, but who certainly give their mama a run for her money in competing for my love and devotion. I'm so proud to welcome onto the podcast today my two favorite children, my daughters, Madison Watts and Sydney Watts. Girls, welcome to the truth about taxes and retirement. Happy to be here. Excited. Well, we're excited that you're here. It's it's going to be a real fun time today. I'm guessing that uh, as you were thinking about the new year, the one thing you didn't see in the cards for 2023 was being guests on a podcast about taxes and retirement. Definitely not. This isn't my my typical audience, I wouldn't say. Yeah, probably not. I usually leave the taxes and retirement specialties up to you and people who know more than I do. But. Well, we'll see what you know today. Who knows? You may be an expert by the time we get this done. We'll let me let me explain why I've invited you girls on. Most of our listeners are people who are over the age of 40, probably over the age of 50. And so they may not have kids still at home themselves, but they probably have grandchildren at home. And since I'm in the advice giving business and most people want to know how good the advisor was or is about taking his own medicine. I thought it would be a great way to showcase the greatest accomplishment of our lives and what your mom and I are proudest of, you girls. And it'll be a chance for our listeners to pick up themes and ideas that might be helpful to them with their children or their grandchildren. And they can hear and learn from uh, you that we really do eat our own cooking. The things I teach in classes and seminars and here on our podcast are the things we practice in our own lives financially and personally. So let's start with my oldest baby born on the sixth day of May in 1996 in the blazing, scorching, smothering heat of South Arkansas. Her daddy rented her a limousine to bring her home from the hospital. And once we got into the limo, the driver apologized because the air air conditioning wasn't working. Madison, introduce yourself to our listeners. 
I guess it was it was so hot that day that you forgot that it was August, not May. Did but- I say May? <laughs> That's funny because I had written down here August to remind myself of that. Why don't? <laughs> well, let's talk about what to do when your parents are becoming feeble minded. Well, you start looking at at the nursing homes and, you know, you just get that all straightened out. Well, let's not get there yet. So tell us about you, please. Uh, Yeah. So I I grew up with with my dad being a financial advisor planner. Um, I went up to Webster University in St. Louis, which is where I live now. I played tennis for them uh, for four years before going on to get my MBA. And now I work in sales enablement. So I I spend my day teaching sellers how to be better sellers. I'm also engaged and getting married this summer to my fiance, Zach. And with him, I got his little dog, Sprout, who we are working on training together. So that's pretty much how I spend my days and keep busy. Well, we're excited to have you here on the podcast. I think some fun things are probably going to come out of our conversation today. Now, let's pivot for just a moment to my little buddy. You see, the oldest child kind of clings to mama. So Madison was clinging to mama when number two came along, and number two became sort of daddy's baby to take care of on March. Notice I got the month right. March the 16th of 1998, baby number two rocked my world. Sydney, baby Sydney, clung to me, and around preschool age, she used to be referred to as my snuggle buddy. In fact, I've got some little notes where she was first learning to write and she would write me a love note and uh, it would be signed snuggle buddy. And for the longest time I carried one of those in my wallet, but I took it out because it was beginning to get worn and now it is in my dresser drawer. So uh, I, I think back with great fondness on my girls when they were growing up, one of the sweetest times that we had is every night after mama bathed them and uh, they got on their PJs, they'd crawl into bed beside me and the three of us would go fast asleep while mama finished up her chores. And then she'd come wake them up and take them upstairs and tuck them into their beds. Those were such awesome, awesome days. So take it away, snuggle buddy, my daughter, Sydney, introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, I, well, like you said, my name is Sydney, aka snuggle buddy, I guess. Haven't gone by that in a while, but (laughs) (laughs) what a common edge can. So I went to Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, where I was kind of born and raised only about 20 minutes up the road from mom and dad, Um, graduated from there in 2020, COVID grad, and immediately stepped onto staff with CREW, which is formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, um, which is a campus ministry that works with college students in um, winning them for the gospel, building them in their faith, and then sending them out into the world. So prior to that, I was on staff with the church while I was in college, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, now I live in Indianapolis and get to, you know, do what I love, which is planning conferences for college students. Um, And so I actually just I'm kind of at the end of a really crazy conference season, um, have been pretty much going, going, going since about Thanksgiving. Um, And I've traveled, I think, three or four different times now to various places in the country. I'm actually headed to Florida on Friday for a conference. The following Friday, headed to Dallas. A couple weeks after that, back to Florida. So (laughs) we're kind of traveling a lot at the moment, but live at home with my cat, Hermie, who is actually currently being cat sat by his grandmother and grandfather, which... Yes, he is. And we need (laughs) to talk about that. 
<laughs> at, at four this morning, Hermie decided it was time to wake me up because he wanted some attention. So with his big motor, he hops up in my bed and starts licking my fingers. He does that. He likes to make sure you're alive. Well, Just it it didn't terrible. go over really well. <laughs> well, he's good for making sure people are still living. So that's there great. There you go. So you've got Hermie and you've got, you've got another pet at home. What is it? Two, actually. You've you've forgotten about Alf. Alfred. I almost forgot his name. <laughs> I don't think Alfred, I know about my, Alfred. My fish. He's oh, you've got a fish named Alfred. Alfred. Okay. Yes. He lives with Tyson, who is my turtle. He's one of those little like algae eater guys. So he just makes my job easier, actually, All which right. is why I named him Alfred, because he's like a bowler. So Sydney, Hermie, Alfred, and Tyson the turtle all live in Indianapolis. That would be well, Girls, tell us about your growing up years. The theme here is growing up Watts. Uh, so we want to share with our listeners what it was like for you to be raised in our household with me and mom. Tell us about your growing up years. What were they like? Yeah, I mean, it was good. We grew up in a pretty small town near Springfield. So it was, everyone was very close. You know, we we graduated with the same kids that we started kindergarten with for the most part. Spent a lot of time on the farm and showing goats and all those fun activities that I get to bring out during, um, you know, icebreakers at work and college. <laughs> Not many other kids can say that they spent their summers at goat shows. Yeah, and I, I spent a lot of time playing tennis. It occurs to me that most of our listeners don't even know what a goat show is. Why don't you explain that, would you? Well, you have a big ring. And you bring your goat in there on this little leash and you walk it around in a circle. And sometimes it behaves, sometimes it doesn't. And you get them all washed up and trimmed and set in the perfect position to look like the perfect goat. And then we won a lot. So that was fun. So are they the only goat in the ring? Well, no, there's a bunch of goats. You have to compete. Okay. You said you walk them. It's more like they walk you half the time. It's kind of oh. like the Westminster Kittle Club dog show that we see on TV sometimes. You got all those dogs going around and around in circles, yeah. and they're picking not, out the best dog. Not quite as classy, but about the same. <laughs> well, it's goats, you know. Were you? Um, so, how did your goats do in the shows, Mad? Did, did you? What was your experience there? My goats were winners. I had, I think, I had two goats that were like my goats to show, and both of them were were pretty well accomplished goats. So that that made it a little more fun when I got to walk away with the trophy each week. I bet that does make for an interesting icebreaker in old St. Louis. So tell me, when you were kids growing up, were there any major dominant themes in your life? Sydney, why don't you go first? What were the dominant themes being our kids? What 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 is it if you were going to be Barry and Kelly's kid, here's the way it's going to go? I mean, I guess I feel like hard work, definitely. I don't feel like, I mean, we kind of played hard and rested hard and worked hard. And so it was kind of, you know, an interesting balance of get getting straight A's and being really busy and being in all the activities, but also going on trips as a family and seeing really cool parts of the world. And so I think it was definitely uh, an interesting balance, but we did everything full force for sure. <laughs> we didn't really halfway do anything. Um, so, you know, when we were showing goats, that was what we did every weekend. <laughs> And when Maddie was playing tennis, that was what we were doing pretty much every weekend and things like that. And even, you know, even thinking back, I didn't play tennis. I was not a big fan of tennis. Mom tried, bless her heart, but that was not my, not my thing. So, you know, I did more music and theater and band and things like that. Um, 
And so even then, you know, it was very much like we did it all the way. And so, you know, I auditioned for everything that I could and was in all the little theater productions and the all the marching band shows and started marching as a seventh grader, even though you weren't technically supposed to start marching until you were a freshman and all those kinds of things. So um, definitely, I think everything that we did, we did full out. There was just no half doing anything. <laughs> and perhaps that commitment to doing everything and being all in is why today at 25 years old, soon you'll be 25 next month, you are producing conferences for a large number of students. How many kids will be at one of these conferences that you put on? Oh, depends on the size. Um, I mean, overall this year, we don't have final numbers in because the conference I'm going to this weekend is actually kind of our last conference of this season. But typically we'll have anywhere from like 5,000 to 7,000 students, typically. Wow. Yeah, um, it kind of depends on the year, but. Pretty big conference. And and are you on the stage or are you behind the stage or both? Or what's your role in all this? Well, it depends on the day. <laughs> So I joke because conferences are obviously my full-time gig, but I also joke that I kind of moonlight with a different ministry, which is crew music, which is just a different branch where I'm on stage leading worship. But then for the winter conference cycle this year, um, I was on the program team for one of the conferences, which meant basically that I was on the team who helped decide what got put on stage. So picked speakers, figured out the flow of the evening, when the MC was going to step up, what he was going to say, what how we're going to interact with students, prayer moments, things like that. Um, and then at the one of the conferences and the one I'm going to this weekend, I was actually on the production team. So I was helping set up and tear down all of our audiovisual equipment and then also running pro presenters, the system, but basically running slides um, and kind of controlling everything that's on the screen, designing those things like that. You're also in the back of the room with your headset on, talking into the microphone, telling people what's coming up next, uh, like we see uh, uh, directors of television shows do, correct? To a degree, there's usually somebody, well, usually my boss actually <laughs> is the one who's really calling all of that. I kind of do that on a lower level in terms of like letting them know, hey, I'm going to hit this video in three seconds. So make sure the audio is up, you know, that kind of stuff. But there's usually my boss is the one who's like really, really calling the shots. But I kind of do that on a smaller level and then we'll eventually theoretically move on up. But yeah. So both of you girls jump in and tell us about money. How did you get money when you were kids? I mean, mostly like we had chores once we were older that we would get paid for, but that was, that was pretty much how we would get our own money until we were old enough to go get a job for any fun spending money. And did you get a job when you were old enough to do so? Yes. I started working at, I think, 16 doing okay. tennis coaching. Okay. Sid, do you have anything to add to that about how you got money? Birthdays. <laughs> uh, birthdays. <laughs> so no, what's yeah, that was that was mostly it was our, you know, allowances. And then I mean mom really early on gave us our like clothing budget. You can't see this, but I'm putting air quotes around our clothing budget. Um, but where she would give us a certain amount of money a month that then it was kind of our responsibility to spend it theoretically on clothing for the school year and things like that. But it was our responsibility to like keep it and like watch like our little pot grow and then spend it all in August before school started or whatever. And so to kind of learn like how far money actually went. And so we also had that as well. I don't know if that's like necessarily fun money because it was literally just the money that mom budgeted toward our clothes and stuff for the year. But she actually would give it to us every month so that we kind of understood how far it would go. So what were some of the first money lessons that you remember learning as kids? 
Mine was that one with the clothing budget. A little misleading because, you know, when you don't have any bills, $300 seems like a lot of money. Well, just to be clear, you didn't get $300 a month. No. <laughs> once, back, once it was time to go back to school and I could I could use that $300 that felt like I was rich. So that was six months worth of money. Right. Yeah, I think that was the first one I remember because it kind of it showed you how to how to strategically spend your money to get what you were wanting. So one of the things that mom and I are most um, proud of and kind of surprised by, we're not really surprised, but it's just nothing we set out to intentionally do. It just happened. Both of you girls have profound work ethics. I'm pretty sure that uh, the people you work for and around are are impressed and thrilled you're on their team, and the people around you are depressed because you're outworking them. Uh, you're you're setting a standard probably way too high. You guys have got an incredible work ethic, and Mom and I sit back and scratch our head once in a while and just say, "How'd that happen?" Because we didn't ever set out to say, "Be sure we teach them an incredible work ethic," but obviously you got it. So tell us how that came to life. Where'd you get your work ethic? I mean, I think a lot of it, kind of like I said earlier, comes from the fact that growing up, it was always like you you did things all the way. <laughs> it wasn't ever like, oh, you'll kind of try this and maybe halfway do it. Like you kind of committed or you didn't do it at all. And so I feel like even more than like a work ethic, it's kind of just a commitment to like excellence and expecting the best out of not only ourselves, but also like the people around us, which I mean, I would like to think at least theoretically that we encourage other people, even if it's not like actually being like, hey, do better. But <laughs> if it's like a, they're from being around us saying like, oh, well, she's working all this extra, like doing all this extra stuff is has that higher um, work ethic and kind of then encouraging them by example of like, oh, we want to do that too. But I feel like a lot of it just came from always doing everything fully and full out and not holding back growing up. And so, and I mean, we stayed busy too. It kept us out of trouble, but. <laughs> Mad, where'd you get your work ethic? How'd that happen? I mean, Sid saying commitment to excellence is probably a little better way to say this, but I was just going to say that I'm really competitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well. I always wanted to, to be the best and have the best grades and have the most money and advance the quickest. And I just, I'm competitive. So uh, I'm remembering that when you were a junior or senior in college, uh, you got a job, a position with the company that led to the the position you have today in the same company. Tell us, uh, tell us how you got your job that first that first real job. Yeah, so my, I think it was the summer after my junior year, I started as a sales intern for this company, and you know did that through through the summer. I had expressed interest in wanting to work for them longer, but I was still, I graduated a semester early from college. So I still but, had- But how'd you get the job? Did they come looking for you? I applied and interviewed. Didn't you go kind of kick the door down and just tell them I'm here? Trust me, it's a dad story. It works really good. So say, yeah, dad, that's what I did. The point was we were terribly proud of the fact that they weren't advertising for an intern. You just went and knocked on their door, if I recall correctly. And that's led to the positions you're at today. You've got, what, four or five uh, promotions since you went full time with them, maybe. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I just got my fourth promotion with them. Yeah. And so, so what is it specifically that you do today? What's your role? 
I do sales engagement and content. So any kind of top of funnel support that a sales rep needs, um, I build all of the, the prospecting cadences and tools that they need to go effectively sell solutions and products. And then I also do all of our internal sales communications. And there's your degree in marketing coming out. So, well, we're proud of you. And uh, when, when when you got your last promotion and that big raise, we were proud of that too. So we we just we just tickled with our girls and what's going on with them. So uh, you grew up on the farm. Uh, we've already talked about that some, but um, how do you think growing up on the farm influenced you girls in ways that perhaps we haven't talked about so far? I think Sid had a little different farm experience than I did. She was much more of a out there with a with a happy heart and I can say that I probably wasn't most of the time but I think it kind of also taught me that you know sometimes you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do you don't like to do but it's just part of part of your job part of being part of the family um so I think that's that's kind of how it influenced my life post farm now, you're bringing a young man into the family shortly. Really, he's already a part of our family. Uh, Zach, how does he feel about the farm? He loves the farm. He grew up in the city, and he just thinks the farm is the most fun way to spend a Saturday. So he is decked out in his overalls and his cowboy boots, and he loves to get out there and mess around with the animals. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you guys this weekend, and I'll uh, hope to uh, immerse Zach up to his knees in mud while we do something fun on the farm. Sid, tell us about how the farm influenced you as a kid growing up. I mean, I'll push back a little bit on Maddie's comment of I was always out there with a happy heart because I'm thinking back to the picture that we had that was floating around for a while of me out there in my bath towel because I was yanked out (laughs) of the shower because someone who was not me left the gate open and all the goats got out. So... Not always a happy heart. Just like <laughs> it wasn't me either that left the gate open. Uh, it was probably me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, yeah, I think kind of like Maddie said, of just like it was just kind of part of being a part of the family. And so I think it kind of set the expectation for me of even if it's not something you really enjoy, or maybe sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, you know, I think it set a good expectation for even work in the future of sometimes it's super fun to go out and pet the cows and play with the dog and do whatever, you know, sometimes you really enjoy it. And other times it's just something you got to get done. And so I feel like that that was a really great expectation too, of just like the working world or even like college of, you know, sometimes it's really fun and you enjoy it and you're excited about it. And other times it's just something you got to get done. And so it wasn't like something that you could like, I don't really feel like it. I don't really want to do it. Like you had to do it. And so, you know, there are some mornings, I mean, I love my job, but there are some mornings where I think everyone wakes up and is like, oh, I'd really rather not, but it's just something that's got to get done. And so you go. Um, So I feel like that that definitely kind of set that expectation well, that it wasn't like work and school and things like that weren't something that you could just like opt out of. Like you had to, you had to do it because it was something that had to be done, even if you didn't really feel like it. So uh, I'm remembering back on some of those goat showing weekends when we would wash goats all day on Friday and there'd be uh, all four of us. And then uh, our friend who also worked for us, Max, would come out and wash goats. And and if you don't understand what that looks like, literally you're taking shampoo, working it into the hair on the goat, rinsing them off. And then you've got this super big blow dryer that blow dries the animal. And then you take your clippers out and you clip their hair. And it's a beauty pageant is really what it is. And uh, so we would uh, 
prepare goats. We hauled as many as 12 or 13 of them at a time. Then we'd get in the truck uh, either Friday night or Saturday morning and drive maybe couple hundred miles and uh, unload at some county fairgrounds or someplace like that. And over the next two days, we would show goats against, oh, um, you know, probably 50 or 60 of our friends from around the country who'd hauled their animals in too. And in the end, they would hand out banners and ribbons and trophies and occasionally a little bit of cash. And then we would all pack up and grumpily go home and uh, let the goats all wallow in the mud again until uh, until the next time. So it, that was a pretty pretty challenging time, a way to do it. We don't do that kind of work anymore. In fact, uh, Dad prefers to to fly the desk. Let me ask you this: Did you ever did you ever really understand what I did for a living when you were kids? No. I remember distinctly my friends at one point, this is probably like middle school. Uh, one of my friends, we were talking about what our parents did or something. And I was like, I don't really know something with like money or something. I knew like financial planner was at one point a thing, but then I think in this part of life, that was not what you were doing. I don't even remember what you were doing at the time, but I also couldn't have articulated what you were doing. And so my friend informed me that she thought that maybe you were the head of the mafia because none of us <laughs> did. And that it was something to do with money. So, <laughs> Matt, did you ever have any idea what I did for a living? I feel like I didn't. And then I did. And now I'm back to like, I kind of get the gist of what you do, but Zach understands far more than I do. Well, Zach's <laughs> got a finance degree from Butler. So uh, he's not a marketing guy. He's a finance guy. So Sid, do you even know what I do today or not? Really? Yeah, today I can. Well, I mean, I know part of it. I feel like I don't necessarily know like everything, but I definitely can more effectively articulate what you do now. And I don't think any of my friends think that you are the head of the mafia anymore. So congrats. Well, small miracle, little progress moving forward. Hey, <laughs> we're going to take a commercial break, pay the bills and hear a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll hear more from my daughters, Madison and Sydney. As we talk about growing up what's on the truth about taxes and retirement. This episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement is brought to you by the Wealthcare Corporation, a national personal wealth management firm with taxes at its center, because they realize that no matter how well you do with savings and investments, it won't matter if you don't get the taxes right. And that's where Wealthcare shines. They design a personalized retirement income strategy unique to you, focused on after-tax income, so that you can have confidence you'll have the income you need year after year throughout your retirement, helping people retire with confidence, age with dignity, and create a legacy for their family. That's what they're all about at WealthCare. Visit them on the web today at savingyoutaxes.com. Barry Watts here on The Truth About Taxes and Retirement with my special guests, my adult daughters, Madison and Sydney Watts, talking about growing up Watts. Now, girls, uh, before the break, we talked about a lot about your life growing up on the farm and a little bit about money and things of that nature. But I want to dig in a little bit more about the dynamic of our home and how it worked. You know, uh, we had dinner around the dinner table in our home uh five or six nights a week, I would say. And uh, 40% of the kids who are growing up today don't live in a two-parent home. Now, you had the benefit, I believe a benefit, of growing up with both, both parents at home. So how does that influence you and how does it compare to your peers? I mean, 
comparing with my peers, I feel like actually most of my friends grew up in a two-parent home. I think I had like maybe one or two who didn't. I feel like, and maybe this was just because we were like small town rural Missouri, but I felt like a lot of our school actually had two-parent homes. Now, I knew that there were some that were divorced divorced and things like that, but um, generally, I think that there was a significant number. I think more in college, I experienced people who were from like divorced homes, single-parent home, things like that. In terms of influenced me, I mean, well, if one parent was mad at you, you could always count on the other one probably wasn't. So that was always <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but, okay it's nice I mean, to know i was used Go ahead. <laughs> no but i think you know it kind of set an expectation again of like relationship permanence i suppose of like you know when you get married you kind of get one shot then you know in terms of like the family dynamic of wanting to have like a two-parent household and things like that and so I mean, I definitely think it also kind of showed a good balance because like you and mom are vastly different people. And so it was kind of being able to see the teamwork, I think was helpful too, just in terms of like, you know, if I had math questions, I could go to one or English to another or whatever, like in college with biblical study stuff, like we could talk about that for forever. And mom was like, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> you know, there was just a lot of like ways that you guys, I think kind of balanced each other out, um, which I think is also Kind of something that influenced me in a lot of ways in terms of like seeing that, like I said, teamwork and things like that growing up. Maddie, how about you? How how did growing up in a two-parent home influence you? Yeah, I, I echo said the most, probably 95% of my friends have a two-parent home. So I didn't see like immediately a lot of differences, but I do have a few people in my life who don't have a two-parent home. So it's, you know, you can definitely see the differences in you know, now that I'm older, thinking from a parent perspective of having to raise your kids by yourself and deal with everything as a a one man show versus having the support of someone else to help you keep the home and raise the kids and just do life. And, you know, also just seeing that now, as I'm starting my own marriage, seeing the support of having the other person versus just taking on life by yourself. It's good. It's really good. We are we're grateful mom and I are to be together and that we were able to provide that model for you girls. And uh, we hope that you provide that same kind of model for our grandchildren when that time comes, because we believe that the solidness of family and marriage is uh, crucial to success in life. And you saw that really not only in me and mom, but uh, when you were born, you had the fortune of being born into uh, a family when all four grandparents were living and two great-grandparents were living, even today. Now that you're adults, you still have three of your four grandparents living. What was your relationship like with the grandparents, and what you learn from them? Um, I am really thankful that we you know, got to experience all four of our grandparents, because I know that's not true across the board usually. Um, and even with the two great grandmas getting to actually have a relationship with them. I don't remember one of them super duper well, because I mean, she died when I was what, three, four, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember her super duper well. And I feel like most of the memories I do have maybe are ones that people have told me that then my brain is like, oh, you remember this, even though I really don't. Um, versus the one who died just a couple years ago. I have a lot of really fond memories with her. And even, you know, when grandpa died. So we've still got grandma and then a full set. Um, but when grandpa died, you know, I was in seventh grade. And so I have fond memories with him, but because of his Alzheimer's and things like that, before he died, 
Um, I don't remember a lot about like having a true relationship with him, which kind of made me sad because I think, you know, hearing mom talk about him and their relationship growing up and things like that, that's something that I wish that I could have had. But, you know, that's just not how things kind of played out. But I do know back when Maddie was playing tennis, you know, I would stay with Grandma Show and Grandpa Jem a lot. And so I have a really, really close relationship with them, particularly Grandpa Jem. I think we've always kind of gotten along really well. I mean, not that I've not gotten along with any of them, but we, for whatever reason, kind of had our own little club and we'd go sit out in his shop for like hours on end. And he'd show me all of his tools and all the things that he did and the things that he tore up just so he could fix and, (laughs) you know, all of those kinds of things. And so I think kind of going back to like that hardworking um, kind of work ethic, I feel like I got a lot of that from them too, even just kind of the work hard, play hard kind of concept where, you know, they worked really hard. Grandpa was always out tinkering on something, fixing something, breaking something, doing whatever. And grandma, I always remember was all, I feel like she was always in the kitchen. I know she probably did other things, but I feel like that was always where she was (laughs) or she was in the backyard with us, toting us around. But so I just always remember them, you know, they would work really hard and then they'd go to the lake for a couple weeks and just sit on water and fish and hang out. And, you know, and so it was kind of, again, the you do everything fully. And so they would work really, really hard when they were working and they would play really, really hard when they were not. And so I think that that was something that kind of then transferred down to us, just kind of watching that as kids growing up and then now getting to have an adult relationship with them is super, super sweet. So, Madison, I'm going to ask you about a uh, something special that uh, Mamma taught you. But uh, before I ask that question, let me just ask in general, what did you learn from your grandparents? How, how did they impact your life? Yeah. I mean, like Sid said, when we were little, we spent a lot of time with all of them. Uh, you and mom traveled a good amount. And so I remember spending a ton of time, especially with your parents. And then, you know, as mom was dealing with grandpa and his illness, and we just, we spent a lot of time with all grandparents. So it was good to just kind of you know, spend time with them, but also hear their perspective, which I know didn't mean much to us when we were little, but now thinking back on things, it's, it's interesting to take what they said and now apply it when it, when it fits more. You know, uh, Sydney's got a a book that she's writing on grandpa Jim and (laughs) funny things he says, I wish, uh, this is a G rated family show, so she can't, uh, she can't use much of the content in her book, but uh, that might be a good podcast in and of itself, but we'd have to have a whole (laughs) different distribution channel, uh, just to be sure that it stayed G rated the whole time. Hey, Mad, um, Mama, when you got ready to go off to college, I remember we took you by her house and this was the goodbye. I'm going to college trip and Mama, who is my mother's mother, this would be your paternal grandmother's mother. Mamaw had some advice for you. What was it she told you? So uh, I think it's important first to to set up Mamaw. She was in her early 90s when she gave me this advice. And she was always, in my experience, like a pretty prim and proper old lady. But as she was telling me goodbye, and as I was going off into the big city to college, she told me to keep my chin high and my skirt tail down. <laughs> She sure did. I was there when she said it. It was funny. It was just a slight bit out of uh, out of character for her, but it was a funny thing for her to say. We've had such a great time as a family. You girls have been such a blessing to me and mom. And one of the blessings that we have really enjoyed that came out of the value that mom and I have having to do with travel 
and we got to travel a lot as a family. Tell us about one of your favorite trips. What's been your, what, what was your first trip and what was your favorite trip? Um, I think our first like big trip was to Jamaica. Yeah, that's correct. I was, I was in third grade. So I think that puts me at like eight or nine and said you were little. Um, <laughs> wow, however old you were. Um, so I, I just remember that being fun. And we had, it was, a, you know, one of those all inclusive resorts and we got to just run around and eat ice cream and get sodas and pork your mom. <laughs> it was, it was just a, a big experience for us. Um, but I think my favorite trip was probably when we went to London. That was like really our first Europe experience. And I think it kind of, for me at least, like started my my adventure bug and my travel bug. So then I I was fortunate that you and mom were able to to give me the opportunity to go abroad. And I spent a semester in Europe just exploring even more. So I think that was probably my favorite. There's a whole podcast built around those European explorations. How many countries were you in that semester? Ooh, um. Off the top of my head, I want to say 11. Yeah, that's pretty good for one semester in college to be in 11 different countries and still be going to class. Yep. And that that was that was before we had all this remote learning. You actually went to class, but then traveled on the weekends. Sid, what was your favorite trip that we ever took together as a family? Um, well, I guess I should clarify. When I said we tortured mom on that first trip, we were just at the age where we started pulling pranks, and they weren't good pranks. And so we pulled pranks on mom who bless her heart had just fallen down the stairs like the week before. So we were, we were not very kind to her in retrospect. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, but I think my favorite trip that we've been on was for sure Israel, um, which we took like literally immediately pre pandemic, like got back into the U S you know, 24 hours before the borders closed. I think a lot of that though, just because, you know, I had just, well, was in my last semester of my, religious studies degree and going into ministry full-time and things like that. And so um, there was just a lot of sweetness there. I think that uh, was fun. Plus I feel like that was kind of the one trip where I feel like we were both like fully adults. I mean, Italy was kind of that way as well a little bit, but it just felt more like, okay, we're actually like adults who are on a trip with our parents. And I mean, obviously a relationship is a little different as adults with your parents than you are when you're kids. So um, I just thought that was really sweet, but I do think one of my favorite, like specific memories, which Madison, you got left out of this one. Sorry, you were in Disney, but uh, when when Dad, you and I were in Mexico, we did go together, just you and me, we did, which was kind of an odd thing. I mean, that's like yes, the one it was time odd. that the four of us didn't travel, you know, together. We divided up kid and parent, which is odd, but um, it was for Maddie's senior trip. And so Dad and I said, "Well, fine, we'll go to Mexico by ourselves." And so we went down and. I remember we were on like a moped on Cozumel <laughs> mm-hmm. and we took off on this moped and it was all fine and dandy until it started raining. And so then we were both drenched and like the one restaurant we tried to go to was like closed or something. And then there was a cathedral I thought on a map. And so I drugged dad there and it was not a cathedral. I read the map wrong. And so, and we kept like bottoming out the scooter on every speed bump we went over. And so it was this whole thing. And so we were both, you know, drenched and just cracking up most of the time. And so I have really fond memories of that trip, I think, because again, it was the one time we had traveled without mom and Maddie, but also I think it was just kind of the trip that things kept going wrong, but 
in the end it went, I mean, it was all fine and we were laughing. Nobody got hurt. But Then another kind of travel took over for you girls. Tell us about uh, your experiences uh, going on mission teams, where you went and uh, what that was like for both of you. Sid's definitely done more of this than I have. Um, but, you know, when we were young, I want to say we started when I was like freshman in high school. That's about right. The two of us would go to Nicaragua with Project Hope and we'd work there and build houses in the villages and we'd run a soccer tournament. And it, it was great memories. We have a lot of relationships still with the people that we we went down there with and with the translators that are in Nicaragua and even some of the the people that we met while we we're there. So it was it was sweet times to get to go spend times, especially with the with the kids. Yeah, I think I would definitely kind of echo that. There were a lot of really sweet memories. And I actually have one of the Nikas that we met, I think our well, my sophomore year, probably our junior year of high school. Um, still like messages me on Facebook every few weeks just to say hi. He doesn't speak English, just so we're clear. So <laughs> that's a very short conversation usually, but he likes to keep up with me. So there's a lot of really sweet relationships there um, and really fun memories. And I think that was always a fun bonding time too for Maddie and I, um, as well as, you know, with other students who were on those trips too. And then now with my work, I do a lot of missions travel and things like that. Spent the summer in San Diego doing mission work two summers ago, I guess. And then I'm looking forward to Ooh, doing Roughing it in San Diego. Nothing like being called yeah. to the mission field, to the uttermost parts of the earth, all the way to San Diego. <laughs> so hey, we, I, the students get trained though. So it was good. We, well, we need some clarification on this because Mad, you mentioned going on mission trips and playing soccer. And, and uh, I, I didn't know that we were evangelizing about athletics. Obviously that wasn't the purpose. So uh, unpack for us a little bit more, if you don't mind what soccer and building houses and so forth was about. I mean, it was all about evangelizing. So we had a, a special soccer ball that the teams would play with that there's a whole whole illustration with that of how Jesus came to love you and died for you and whatever. So we would use that as like a talking point in the tournaments and we would, you know, spend our, spend our day at the tournament going around and talking to people and playing with them and having fun with them, but also using it as an opportunity to tell them about, about God. So our whole family has been to Nicaragua on multiple trips. I think mom maybe only has one trip in there. But I've been two or three times teaching in pastor schools, and you girls have been on some of these building and, and soccer trips and so forth. So uh, that was really important after I had been down there and seen what was there because my girls lived uh, a pretty high life and, you know, had a membership at the country club and could use the pool and the tennis courts and so forth, even though they were showing goats. It was important to me to send you girls off on a trip like that so that you could see how the rest of the world lived and that everything wasn't as cushy everywhere else as it was uh, back at home for you guys. So let's begin to bring this for a landing by talking again about money just a little bit. Uh, what kind of money lessons did you girls learn when you were kids that really stick with you today? I think the biggest lesson is budgeting that mom taught us. I guess I was like, once we got our, our big girl jobs was when she sat down and had that conversation with us, but it's, I mean, it's saved me financially, I think. Um, and I've, you know, I've started to tell my friends about it and trying to help them budget. Um, so I, I think that was probably the one that sticks out to me the most and that I use the most often as well. So what did, what did mom teach you about budgeting? What is it? 
mean, it's pretty simple. She just set us up with a, a spreadsheet and here's how much money you bring in. Here's how much money you need to survive. Here's how much money you need to save and tithe. And here's the money that you have left to play with. So, she, you know, she just kind of broke it down into that and helped us look at our money and where we where we had options. Sid, what are the financial lessons that you think you really learned that you've taken with you? I mean, I feel like mine is probably the same, just the budgeting. And I thought it was funny that you mentioned telling your friends, because when I was in college, we, when I was living with a few girls, I had explained to them that I budgeted and, you know, had a spreadsheet and whatever. And they all got so excited. I'm like, can you show us how to budget with a spreadsheet? I was like, sure. Okay. So I remember I literally sat down these four girls that I lived with at their request. I was not forcing it on them in our living room and like screen shared my computer screen with my spreadsheet and was like, here's how you make a budget, which also I'm like, I don't know what that tells us about like the American school system that as a junior in college, I'm having to teach my friends what a budget is, but we're not going to, so, <laughs> but I do think that that has definitely stuck with me. And then has something been something that kind of like Maddie said, I've then actually passed along to my friends, which has been kind of funny. So well, that's really good. Um, Mama will be tickled to hear that. And uh, for our listeners, if you're interested in knowing more about that, you want to share some form of that information with uh, your family, uh, you can go back and listen to the podcast called uh, Marriage and Money or Money and Marriage. I'm not sure which which M came first, but uh, that special edition featuring my wife, Kelly, she talked about her budgeting process a lot that she's in her home. And uh, it really has made a difference for us and I think is making a significant difference for our girls who we are so incredibly proud of. You girls know that I love you. Yep. I sure as the world do. You light up my world. You're my everything. Did you have a pretty good time today? Yeah, it was fun. I don't think I've ever Zoomed you all, so this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Say what, Maddie? It feels like we're back in COVID FaceTiming each other. It kind of does feel that way just a little (laughs) bit, so... Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'm proud of you girls. I'm proud of our listeners who are hearing this. And so that's going to be it for this episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Don't forget to visit our sponsors at the Wealthcare Corporation for more information on tax strategies to help you send less to Washington and your state capital and keep more money in your pocket. You can find Wealthcare on the web at www.savingyoutaxes.com. Now, do me a favor, if you don't mind, if you think this podcast would be helpful or enjoyable to your friends and family, would you please click on the share button and send the link to the people that you care about most or post to the podcast link to social media so your friends and family can get the same benefits that you do from listening. If you'll do that, I'll really appreciate it. And I'll say thank you so much in advance for sharing the podcast with other people. Until next time, I'm tax strategist and retirement planning expert, Jay Barry Watts, here on The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, reminding you that no matter how well you do in saving, investing, and planning, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. This podcast is a production of the Wealthcare Corporation found on the web at savingyoutaxes.com. The concepts discussed are for informational and educational purposes only and should not be implemented without first consulting with your own legal, tax, and investment counsel. This has not been an offer to buy, sell, or invest in securities, and this information is to be taken as educational concepts and not as specific advice for you. 
The lawyers and regulators like for us to remind you that all investment involves risk and you could lose money. Past performance is never a guarantee of future results. Tax strategy services are provided by American Tax Strategies, LLC. Investment advisory services are provided by Wealthcare Asset Management, LLC. And parenting advice comes free. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.